0: last time, we covered a lot of territory. I hope I didn't snowplow you with all that information, but I'm limited on time to try to get across a lot of this stuff. We talked about the ceremonial law and the moral law and the difference between them. We also uh, introduced you to the Sabbath of the Ten Commandments. And tonight, what we're going to do is talk about History's greatest cover-up. Now, what do I mean by that, history's greatest cover-up? Let me go back in history with you a little bit to 1970. Many of you were around in 1970, most of you, and remember that building. Oh, you may not recognize the building per se, but it's called the Watergate Complex. Oh, now it's familiar to you. Okay. One evening, in April of 1972, five men were arrested breaking into the Democratic National Committee headquarters. They were taking photocopies and pictures of different materials and information. They were arrested, and before long, it looked like it was just a simple incident. But soon, it it began to grow. And the more they tried to cover it up, the more it got out of hand. And we find in August, on August 8, 1974, it led to the resignation of the President of the United States. Richard Nixon announced that the next day there would be a new President, and Gerald Ford assumed that office. What was Nixon's crime? It wasn't that he broke into the Democratic headquarters. It's that he tried to cover up what was a crime. And yet we find that tonight we're going to be talking about the cover-up that the book of Revelation reveals. Now you may be wondering why we are dwelling on this particular topic, because of the fact that most people are unaware of what has transpired in history. The truth is very interesting, the way it all developed. You see, Revelation talks about a time when, in the end, when there would be a huge cover-up and it would force the planet Earth and Christians... They have to make a decision whether or not they're going to serve God or they're going to serve men. And as we look at this, it takes us down the timeline to the end of time. Our text is found in Revelation twelve nine. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to earth and his angels were cast out with him. It's interesting that in a perfect heaven, Satan was able to deceive one-third of the angels of God. Think of that. I don't know how many angels God has. He has myriads of angels, 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands. There's a lot of them, but a third of them fell for Satan's deception, My friends, if they would fall for Satan's deception, and they were perfect angels at the time, what do you think about our perfect parents at the beginning of time? Did Satan not deceive our first parents into sinning? In the Garden of Eden, it was a huge deception that lasted down through the days and down through the ages, leading people away from God's plan for their lives. You know, God has a plan for your life. And He wants to lead you in the proper way. But we find that it was through deception. It was through telling uh, something that was close to true at first, but when you really examine it, it, it sounded good at first, but when you really examine it, it was a lie. And as we go further, we find in John eight thirty one and 32, it says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The devil t- tried to portray that he was telling the truth, when in reality he was lying, wasn't he? He was telling something that was contrary to the truth. And notice... How can we tell the difference between truth and error? It's as we abide in the word of God. Now, what does abide mean? What's somebody, what's abide mean? Stay with it, stick to it, okay? If you are abiding here, it means you live here, right? You stay with it. And notice, we are to abide in my word and not be led astray by the theories of men. Abiding, then, applies to spiritual things as well. Jesus wants us to continue growing and developing, and not to ever be spiritually stagnant. You know this idea, the old-time religion is good enough for me? Well, God says we should be learning something new every day from his Word. And if we ask the Spirit of God to reveal from his word truth, he will. Just because grandma and grandpa did things a certain way, doesn't mean you necessarily have to. First ask yourselves, is this biblical? Is this consistent with the word of God? We find that David wrote in the Psalms that God's word is to be a lamp unto his feet and a light onto his path. You know, it wasn't until I went to Israel that I understood that text. We were over in a shop not far from where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and I bought a little lamp, a little clay lamp. It's only about that big. And I noticed that one of the lamps they had had a rather large ring. You know, it's supposed to be so you could put your finger in there, and you'd light it, and You could walk around with it. But this had kind of a big ring on it. I wondered, what is that for? So I asked the fellow. Oh, he said, oh, that's easy. He says, instead of carrying it in your hands, you slip that ring over your big toe and lay the lamp on your other toes. You see, it would fit on here and lay on your foot. And that way your hands are free. And as you walk along, it would be a light unto your feet so you don't stumble in the dark and fall. You see the symbolism that he uses here. And it says if God's word is a lamp to us, it keeps us from stumbling and falling. It saves us, and it also sanctifies us. Now, you would expect that there would be a uh, attacks on the law of God. Why? Because the law of God is the foundation of God's government. And because it is the foundation of government, it's the constitution of God's heaven. It's a transcript of his character and what he, he stood for. And we find that before long, and even today, we run into things such as relativism, where everything is relative. In plain words, we are often attacked by something called situation ethics. Well, yeah, okay, well, stealing, you know, maybe you shouldn't steal, but there's nothing wrong with me stealing a few things here and there. Just because it applies to you, doesn't mean it has to apply to me. That's relativism. And people are less inclined to believe in absolutes. There are things that are absolute. The commandments of God are absolutes. They're not relative. You notice it calls them the Ten Commandments. It doesn't call them the Ten Suggestions. Right? God isn't suggesting, well, I suggest you don't commit adultery. I suggest that you don't murder. No. He says don't do it. So we find that this idea of relativism, today we run into something even more than that. It's called pluralism. You do your thing, you do your thing. Everybody else can do whatever they want. We find that because of this, there's confusion. Now it's interesting that the word for confusion in the Bible is called Babylon. 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 Babylon means confusion. And what does it create? It creates spiritual confusion. When you start tinkering with God's will and God's word. And so we find in these last days especially, this would be a problem. But it started in ages earlier than that because Satan's been fooling around in trying to cause confusion right down through the ages. I wonder if it's possible that maybe some of that confusion has even crept into the Christian church. Could it be that even in Christianity today there's confusion? There are some churches that are teaching reincarnation and they're Christian churches. Do you realize reincarnation isn't even Christianity? That's Hinduism, you see. There are some churches who don't know what the scripture says about what gender you belong to. There are some churches who are professing it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. My friends, you can jump off the Empire State Building and say, I believe I can fly. Try it. You see. Does it matter what you believe? It does matter what you believe. You see. And this is what God is saying. Now notice it says here in the 20th chapter, verse 8 of Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day to what? Keep it holy. And I would like to spell that with a W. Keep the whole thing I remember before I used to keep the Sabbath day holy, I used to just go to Sunday school and go to church, and the rest of the day was mine. Is that keeping anything holy? When I discovered the Sabbath, I discovered also it's a 24-hour period. Keep the whole thing holy unto the Lord. That's what it's referring to. And yet we find that changes have been made in the way people interpret this and the way they observe it. You see, the Sabbath is a memorial to creation. You don't fool around with memorials. Memorials are there for a certain purpose. They are to represent something. And if you destroy the memorial, you destroy the significance of it. And so we find that the Ten Commandments, it's no surprise that in these last days they would be challenged. Back in the time of Daniel, we find that Nebuchadnezzar, for those who are familiar with the story, he remember we saw the multi-metal man we talked about before? Well, he decided, well, I don't like God's interpretation of the future. I'm going to make it all out of metal. I'm going to make it all out of gold. And I'm going to require everybody to bow down and worship it. You know, forced religion is always bad religion. If a religion must be enforced by using civil power, it's a bad religion. There's something wrong with that religion because the religion is supposed to convert the heart. You don't need the the cops or the government officials to enforce it for you. And so Nebuchadnezzar passed a law. Everybody bows down to it. Or off with your heads. Well, better still, I'll stick you in that oven and cook you. You see. And he found that there were certain young men, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to bow down. And he said, look, uh, maybe you guys didn't understand the message. I'll give you a second chance. And when Lord's Welt plays his band again, then you all fall down, ready? And a one, and a two, and a... And you know what? They were going to bow down. And they said to him, your majesty, we respectfully say that you can toot those horns all you want. But respectfully, we're still not going to bow down to that image. Now, what was taking place there? First off, Nebuchadnezzar was acting like God, wasn't he? But wasn't there a commandment of God that was being attacked? As a matter of fact, there was not only thou shalt have no other gods before me, but there was another commandment that was attacked. Not to make any image. So Nebuchadnezzar was actually forcing them through government uh, enforcement to bow down and break two of God's commandments. And they said, we'd rather die than do that. If it's God's will to deliver us from the fiery furnace, praise the Lord. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to do it because it's wrong. And so we find that we can expect at the end of time that there would be a a religious political power that will want to force people to break God's commandments. The devil doesn't care which one it is, you see, because he would just as soon have you break them all. If you break one, you're guilty of them all. Now notice in uh, 20 verses 8 through 11, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Notice, that's what most catechisms say. But it doesn't tell you which day of the week that is. I could keep Thursday, according to that. I And there are people who so often say to me, well, I believe, it doesn't matter as long as, you, as long as you keep one in seven, as long as you keep one in seven. That sounds very religious. Uh, as long as you keep one in seven. let me let's apply that to another commandment. You went to a party and after the party was over, there are six, seven ladies standing at the door, and you say, "Well, it's time to go home. I'll go home with one in seven. Does it matter which one in seven you go home with? If you go home with the wrong one, you're in big trouble, right? This is the way it is with the commandments. Then there are those who say, well, I believe in keeping every day holy. You know, my friends, it's nice that you believe in living every day for the Lord, but you can't keep every day holy because the Bible says that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And quite frankly, if I were a boss, I wouldn't hire you. If you're not going to work seven days a week... I'm not going to hire you. Not only that, but it also says, six days shalt thou labor. The others are work days. And a third thing is, well, I believe in keeping holy Tuesday. You can believe whatever you want, but how can you keep Tuesday holy when you can't keep yourself holy? You are assuming that you can sanctify something. If you could, you would have sanctified yourself. You would have been living a perfect lifestyle, you see. So some of these things that people say sound good. They sound pious. But in reality, they're far from what the scripture says. The scripture wants us to obey God. Six days shalt thou labor and do thy work. You can do whatever your employment is. And it doesn't, it doesn't hurt if you take a day off and have fun, have a picnic or something. That's all right. But the seventh day, I have made holy. And you are to come to me. You are to keep my will, not your own will. This is what he is saying. The seventh day already belongs to the Lord your God. And in it, you shall do no, and this next slide has the rest of it, no work. Now, it says you, nor your son, nor your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, your, the stranger who is within your gates, for in six days the Lord made, and I'll read the rest of it in the next slide. I want to point out something. Going back, Bob, to the the farm and the animals. All right. If you have a horse and you're plowing with that horse, okay. On the Sabbath, give your horse a rest, too. That's what it's saying. It's also saying, all right, well, you know, I was thinking about having an interior decorator come in and paint the walls. Well, the stranger within your gate, tell him to come back some other day to paint the wall. That's what it's, it's talking about. It's a practical application, you see? Oh, yeah, I'm not talking about that you say you have to milk the cow but i'm talking about making the horses work you know this is what i'm referring to now notice for in six days the lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that in them and that are in them the seventh day therefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and hallowed it he made it special he made it holy And notice also, it says there, the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything that's in them. Didn't we read that in Revelation? But notice, this is in Exodus. That is, Revelation uses the exact language that this commandment uses. And it says that we are to worship the God of heaven in Revelation that created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and etc., He is the creator God, and the creation week included the Sabbath. Now, people um, sometimes wonder, people don't make the connection between uh, God and a special day. Our society has come to the point where every day is alike, and you can do whatever you want, any time you want. But the scripture says that this is unique and special. I want you to notice something. That the devil has designed that the Sabbath day, Saturday, would be trampled on. Like I mentioned, that's when the ball games are on, that's when the, when, uh, the band plays and everything. Especially for our young people, it's trampled on. Now, you may also have heard it said that the Sabbath was for the Jew. Well, praise the Lord. Did you know what? Adam was a Jew because he kept the Sabbath. Right? And if Adam was a Jew, then you must be... Haven't you descended from Adam? If Adam was a Jew, then you're all Jews. You see? But you... There were no Jews. As a matter of fact, it was 2,300 years after Adam that the first Jew appeared. The word Jew, by the way, is shortened from the word Judah. They were the tribe of Judah, you see. And so it shows if Adam kept the Sabbath, Adam was the father of all mankind, therefore the Sabbath must be The Sabbath of all mankind, not just the Jews. Let's notice also uh, at our our next slide, if I can get it up. I want you to notice that in the scriptures, it says to remember the Sabbath day. Why? Because mankind would forget. And as we look here, we find that in the New Testament, the first day of the week, Sunday, is only mentioned eight times times in the whole New Testament. Now, I used to believe until I discovered what I have discovered in the Scripture. I used to believe that it's said in the Bible that you're, you're supposed to keep Sunday. But you know what? The word Sunday isn't even mentioned in the Bible. The word wasn't even used in the Christian church until Centuries later. And as we look at this, we find that the word Sabbath is used 140 times in the Bible. 140 times compared to 8. And in the New Testament alone, the word Sabbath is used 50 times compared to 8. Now, as we look at these 8 texts, I'm going to skip over some of them because it's just saying, well, tomorrow is Sunday. Tomorrow is the first day of the week. So the term first day of the week, you can can find, uh, it's used five times. And that's all it mentions. Jesus resurrected on the first day of the week, period. All right, so why do people give? Reasons for why they keep Sunday. The reason is, as we examine it, there are only three texts that they can actually go to. Let's look at them. First, look at John 20, verse 19. And it says here, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled. Aha! They were assembled. That means they gathered together to worship. But what does the text really say? They were gathered together. Why? For fear of the Jews. Remember, they had crucified Jesus, and now they were afraid the Romans were going to crucify them. Were they gathered together to worship? No, they were there for self-preservation. They were hiding out. They had gathered for the fear of the Jews, and then Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, "Peace be unto you." You know, the peace of Jesus drives out fear. It it helps us to realize that he's the one that gives us the peace. That passes under understanding. Now let's look further, John 20:19, and we see that this verse, they met on the first day of the week, but just meeting together to worship the Lord, which they weren't doing. They were there because of fear. Just because they assembled, does that make it a Reason for changing the commandment? We are gathered here together to study the word of God, are we not? We're assembled. But that doesn't change any of the commandments. Let's go to another text here for a moment. Look at 1 Corinthians sixteen one and 2. This is another text that's uh, often used. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches in Galatia, So, you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. So, there you go. They met together for a church service and they took up a collection. Is taking up a collection... Grounds for changing a commandment of God? Secondly, who said they were in church? There are some translations of the Bible that actually say, concerning the collection of the saints, I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something at home. There are some translations that say, at home. Now, why? What was happening? The people, the merchants, they were working in their shops all week long. They come up to Friday. And they've only got maybe an hour before the Sabbath starts. They would take their receipts and their records. They would put them aside. And then they would, on the first day of the week, do their bookkeeping. They were figuring out their profit and loss. And they, he's saying, when you're doing that, set some aside for a collection, which I'm going around, or have someone do it, go around and collect them, so that when I go to Jerusalem, I can take this bundle of money with me to help the saints. What was happening in Jerusalem? They were being severely persecuted. There was also a famine that was going on. And so the people were very much in need. Here's another text. Acts eighteen one through 4 After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. Notice persuading Jews and Greeks... Greeks and Gentiles are interchangeable. The word Gentiles simply means the nations. That's all it means. You know, the Bible only recognized two kind of people. Jews and non-Jews. You see. The Jews and everybody else. If you're not a Jew, you're an everybody else. I'm an everybody else. Okay? And so they were called Gentiles. So we find that both... The Jews and the Greeks, or the Gentiles, they were meeting together on the same day. Maybe at different times, but at the same day. Notice also in Acts 20, verse 6 and 9, it says, But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them in Troas, where we stayed a whole week. We stay there for a week. It's seven days. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message to midnight. You talk about long-winded preachers. You know? He continued. And then, by the way, something happened, and after he took care of that, he went back and preached some more. What is this talking about? It says they break bread. Therefore, every time we break bread, that must have been Sunday, and therefore, we should worship on Sunday because they break bread. You know what? The scripture says that they broke bread every day together. Why? Because they would come together and have a common meal. Uh, matter of fact when you came in you probably ate something out there at the uh at the bar out there. You had something to eat. Break bread simply means that they, they had a potluck. Okay? A fellowship meal. And they would do this every day because the poor people had to be fed too. And so we find that breaking bread, does that give us reason to change a commandment of God? I think not. And notice also, it says, they continued till midnight. And then something happened. It says there were many lamps in the upper room. By the way, this is, it's the first day of the week, but notice it's the dark part of the, the first day of the week. This is Saturday night. And they're having a, a farewell dinner because the next morning, Paul's going back to work. He's going to travel. I mean, he had 40 miles or so to travel. It shows that Paul, being a good Jew, he would never do that on the Sabbath. But he was not observing Sunday. He was ready to travel. And notice while he's there preaching, a young man by the name of Eutychus sat. there sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Moral of the story don't go to sleep in church, right? Okay, even if you've got a long winded preacher, don't fall asleep in church. Okay, but notice that uh, when Paul, after he tended to this, he then went on and continued to preach. Now, when is the Sabbath? We were just talking about that meal being on a Saturday night. Notice what it says here. Leviticus 23:32 says that the Sabbath was to be observed from evening to evening shall ye celebrate your Sabbaths? And so this is how the scriptures went. Let's look at Mark 1, 32. It said at, at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. Jesus, in this particular case, even though he did heal some people on the Sabbath, when they brought these masses of people, he waited till after the Sabbath to heal them. Not that there was anything wrong with healing them, but he, was gonna, he didn't want to spend the whole day healing people. Notice in Malachi 3, 6, It says that God says, I am the Lord, I change not. Now, if the commandments of God are the transcript of his character, it's only reasonable to conclude that neither does that change. What is Revelation 14 talking about? It's talking about worshiping. Worship him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the fountains of water. This is the creator God. Those who are honest in heart will look at the word of God and say, you are the boss. You are the creator. I am the servant. I will serve you, my God. Notice what it says in Luke 4:16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He went home, hometown. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day And he stood up to read. It showed that Jesus kept the Sabbath. Notice also in Revelation 1.10. Now here a lot of people say, well, it says in the Bible that Sunday's the the Sabbath because it says that John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Tell me as you look at that, which day of the week is the Lord's day according to that text? You can't tell, can you? You can't tell. But it's very interesting that whenever I read the Bible through, I try to read it in a different translation. It makes it kind of hard when you go to quote a text because you can't remember which translation you're quoting. But I was reading the New Century Version. You can get this in Barnes & Noble. You can get it in a Christian bookstore and so forth. But you know, as I looked at this in... in, uh, Exodus 16, I believe it is, when they were in the wilderness and the manna was falling. This text says there won't be any manna tomorrow because tomorrow is a Sabbath and it says the Lord's day. This translation actually connects the Lord's day with the Sabbath. You see. I was going to make a slide of that but I didn't so you'll have to come up and look at it for yourself. But if you look at if you look at Exodus 16 24 and 25 in the New Century version it will say a sabbath and then the Lord's day. And that's when the manna did not fall. Matthew 12:8 it says for the son of man is lord even of the sabbath This is one of the very few places in the Scriptures where you get the word Lord and Sabbath connected together. You see. Uh, The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That word even means especially of the Sabbath. Okay, look at Acts 5, 29. It tells us that we ought to obey God rather than men. In plain words, the traditions of men. But where did some of these traditions come from? Long before... The, the law of God was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, we find that in the wilderness, in chapter 16 of Exodus, the Lord had the manna come down every day of the week. It came down enough for one day, but on Friday, it had a double portion. And the next day, he told them, they weren't going to get any. So they collected it on Friday and they held it over and it lasted over the Sabbath. So this was God's way of marking the Sabbath. And that's the text I referred to in there when it said tomorrow is the Lord's day. All right. As we look further, we find when did the change come? Actually, it came gradually. I mentioned it before about changing from a feast day to a fast day, and so forth. It's as the influences of the uh, heathen communities about began to enter. We find in the time of Constantine, in 321 A.D., we find that things began to creep in. Also at this time, there was much prejudice against the Jews, and the Jews were being persecuted, but you see, the the Romans couldn't tell the difference between a Jew and, a, and uh, a Christian. They were both going to church on the same day, and there were those who say, "Well, look, we don't want to be persecuted along with the Jews, and the Jews were causing trouble to the Romans, and they wanted to be look, look like good, upstanding citizens." Some of them had switched over; a few had earlier. But it wasn't until really A.D. 231 when Constantine passed the first Sunday law. When I was growing up, they were called blue laws, okay? But the first Sunday law, and notice what it says. It says, on the venerable day of the sun. What's it mean? The venerable day. Venerable means you could worship, okay? Okay? On the venerable day of the sun, the sun is worthy of worship, let magistrates and people residing in cities rest and let shops be closed. Now they did make exceptions, Bob. They made it for the farmers because there were certain things that needed to be done. Notice the shops had to close. And notice the rest of it. This in the Catholic world, back in 1994, which wasn't that long ago, you'll find this statement. The sun was a foremost God with heathendom. There is in truth something royal, kingly about the sun, making it a fit emblem of Jesus, the Son of Justice. Hence, the church in these countries would seem to have said, keep that old pagan name. It shall remain consecrated, sanctified. And thus the Pagan Sunday dedicated to Balder became the Christian Sunday sacred to Jesus. They baptized paganism is what they did. Christians, notice again, the Council of Laodicea. This is only a couple of centuries later. No, not even that. From Constantine. It's in 363. Christians shall not Judaize and be idle on Saturday. Why? Judaize. This was anti-Semitism. They were against the anything Jewish. And they said. That old Jewish Sabbath. You're not to keep that anymore. You, we're Christians. We're, we're New Testament believers. We don't want the Old Testament. We don't want the Jews. We don't want their Sabbath. Or their commandments either. Except as we state them. And so Christians shall not Judaize and be idle on Saturday. Notice the word Saturday had already come into the vocabulary. But the Lord's Day, and they're applying that now to Sunday, they shall especially honor, and as being Christians, shall, if possible, do no work on that day. If, however, they be found Judaizing, they shall be shut out from Christ. In Plainworth, they're saying, okay, if you keep the seventh day of the week, you are excommunicated. You are kicked out of the body of Christ. Now, that is forced religion, and that created a lot of pressure on those who would keep it. In the Converts Catechism, which I happen to have at home, you will find that. The Catholic Church, and I'm not picking on the Catholic Church. Don't misunderstand me. It's the theology. It's the system that I'm talking about here. That's in conflict with the word of God. So please, don't people go home and say, I'm anti-Catholic. I am not. I love Catholic people. Half of my family is Catholic. My, my, My uncle studied for the priesthood. My mother was raised in a Catholic orphanage. Okay, you will find that Catholics are honest. It's the Protestants who have a problem. Because the Catholic Church admits that they changed from Saturday to Sunday. And it says, which is the Sabbath day? Saturday is the Sabbath day. It says that right in the catechism. All right? Why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Now notice the answer. Because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. They're proud of it. They take the credit for it. Here, Catholic Encyclopedia, Volume 4, page 153. The Church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish, notice they're sticking that Jewish thing in there, they're sticking that in just to make it. Oh, that's Old Testament. That doesn't apply anymore. From the Jewish Sabbath. It wasn't a Jewish Sabbath. or Adam would have been a Jew. Okay? From the Jewish Sabbath of the seventh day to the first day of the week made the third commandment refer to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord's day. Now, wait a minute. My Bible says... That the Sabbath commandment is the fourth commandment. Now, this just said it was the third commandment. Why? Because by this time, the second commandment had been thrown out. Because it says you shouldn't bow down to idols and images. You see. So what did they do? That left a gap. So they shove it up. It now becomes the third commandment. That's going to cause a problem later because people know how to count to ten. That only leaves nine. So what do they do? They take the last commandment and they divide it in half. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's everything else. You see how it's split? Okay. It continues. The third commandment refers to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord's day. And so, they willingly admit that that took place. Now, here's another. Catholicism and fundamentalism. Now, the reference here, fundamentalism, is referring to those who insist on the Bible. The Bible and the Bible only is the basis of our faith. Okay? Fundamentalists meet to worship on Sunday, yet there is no evidence in the Bible That corporate worship was to be made on Sundays. The Jewish Sabbath or the day of rest was, of course, Saturday. It was the Catholic Church that decided Sunday should be the day of rest and worship for Christians in honor of the resurrection. Now, it's interesting. They make it in honor of the resurrection. You'll notice that the Lord gave... The communion service, in honor of Jesus' death and resurrection, he also gave something else. That's called baptism by immersion. You go down into the water. That's dying, as Jesus did. The water flows over you. That's washing away your sins. And you are resurrected to a new life. It's interesting, and yet the Catholic Church doesn't practice Baptism by immersion. So changing the the day without any authority is saying we are above the commandments of God. We have the power and the authority to change the commandments of God. If that is true, then let's change thou shalt not kill and get modern and say Thou shalt be able to commit abortion. If you have the authority to change this commandment, why can't we change thou shalt not kill and say thou shalt commit abortions? We can't pick and choose which commandments are going to be significant and which are not. The church is very honest with this. They admit it. I've got all kinds of statements where they admit to this. The ones who have a problem are the Protestants because we try to find biblical reasons. We say, well, we believe in the Bible and the Bible only. And the Catholic Church says, oh, really? Is that so? You don't believe in following tradition? No. All right, then why are you keeping Sunday? You don't have any Bible reason for it. And we we flub uh, trying to find words to express it, we tried to go back to those texts we look at and say well they they had an offering no they 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 were assembled in Jerusalem. no, they were there because they were afraid of their lives oh well they they broke bread together, no, they had fellowship meal every day. You see, we grasp at these things. well, it says in revelation one ten that John was in vision on the Lord's Day, yeah? But I just told you that there are many translators who say that was the Sabbath, not Sunday. They're without an explanation, and the Catholic Church uses it against Protestants. Notice, this is Faith of Our Fathers by Cardinal Gibbons. I have a copy of it. I have an old copy of it. I like to collect old books. And I have an old copy of it, and the cover is about to fall off. You may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelations and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. So God's word is true. And we're forced, shall we accept the truth of God's word or shall we accept tradition? When Jesus was hanging on that cross, he said that he was dying for the whole world. Jesus also said, I am the way, the what? The truth. If Jesus is the truth and the Bible is the truth, then would Jesus contradict the word of God? And if, if it was good enough for Jesus, shouldn't it be good enough for us to follow Follow the path that he leads us to. We are to walk in the light that he gives us, not because we have to, but because we choose to. It says, If you love me, keep my commandments. You know what the converse of that is? If you don't love me, you won't keep my commandments. Think of that in reverse. If you don't love me, you're going to commit adultery. You're going to steal. No matter even if you call yourself a Christian. By their works, you shall know them. And if you don't love me, you'll do whatever you want to do. But if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Revelation 14:12 talks about the people at the end of time. Here is the patience or the steadfastness of the saints. Here are they that do two things. Keep the commandments of God. It doesn't say they speak in tongues, do miracles, or uh, they, they build big churches. It says here are they that keep the commandments of God and do what? And the faith of Jesus. Faith in Jesus and the quality of the faith that Jesus had. Yes, my friends? As for me and my house, says Joshua... What twenty four fifteen As for me and my house, my family, those those I have influence over, we will serve the Lord. We will not serve the God of the heathen. We will not serve Baldur or Thor or or the sun or the moon. We will serve the God of heaven, the one who is truly the Creator. But this is what God is asking for each of us tonight. He's saying, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not because you have to, because you want to. Tonight, I'd like to throw that challenge out to you. And I hope this explains how we got from Saturday to Sunday. There's a lot more I could say, but I'm out of time. My friends, I do want to remind you that our next meeting is on Thursday and I would have put it in there, but I (laughs) forgot to. Uh, Our next meeting is Thursday. There's no meeting tomorrow night. And when we do, our topic will be Revelation's time of the end. We're going to be talking about the longest time prophecy mentioned in the Bible. It tells us when The end times begin. And how do we know also that Jesus Jesus claimed that he was the Messiah? But how do we know he was the Messiah? Jesus said, my time has not yet come. And then he says, my time has come. Let's go to Jerusalem. What was he talking about? Jesus was following a timetable. And we're going to talk about that the next time. So I invite you to come back when our topic will be Revelations, Time of the End. Until then, let's have prayer and good night. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessings, for being with us. And Lord, help us to take our stand for Jesus in all things, to follow him and let him be the guide in our lives. Come into our hearts and fill us. In Jesus' name, amen.